Okay. How you guys doing? All right. So now we're going to get in to this story about this woman who believe God told her to go to Uganda, which led to tragedies, horrible tragedies. And guess what happens afterwards? Our talk radio, our talk radio live in 4K. Fair use. A Bedford woman is facing disturbing allegations about her nonprofit in Uganda. Renee Bach is being sued for allegedly operating a medical facility without a license, leading to the death of hundreds of children. 10 News reporter Jessica Jewell is digging into this, and she is live in the newsroom. Jessica. We got our hands on this copy of the lawsuit. The Women's Pro Bono Initiative and two mothers filed this civil suit in a court in Uganda, saying actions by the group, the nonprofit serving his children, led to the deaths of their children. The allegations stirring up a firestorm of criticism, and tonight, the woman taking the heat is firing back. Our focus is malnutrition, so we um, do preventative care programs and then also treatment services. Less than two years ago, we sat down with Renee Bach to talk about her nonprofit, Serving His Children. Its mission, fighting malnutrition in Uganda, clearly outlined on its website. When mothers come to Serving His Children, many of them have lost hope. But now some are blaming the organization not just for losing hope, but losing lives. Two mothers and the women's pro bono initiative suing Bach and serving his children. Court documents say they were led to believe Bach was a medical doctor, claiming she unlawfully practiced medicine and offered medical services to unsuspecting vulnerable children. In these now-deleted images, she's seen wearing a stethoscope administering care to children. The plaintiffs say they only learned after their children died Bach had no proper medical training. Her attorney's response? The people in Uganda aren't that stupid. I mean, there's almost a, a racist undertone in this that somehow they would not understand that this was a girl that had gone over as a late teen and served there for a decade. They knew exactly who she was and what she was doing. David Gibbs dismissing the claims as false. He says his client learned skills to help provide assistance as necessary, but always under supervision of a qualified medical professional. Okay. Let's see what happened. What do you think happened? Do you think that she was punished and reviled as a pariah, or do you think this happened? Yep. Person I'm talking about is Renee Back, who defends herself in the new HBO series Savior Complex. I think some of the most wild accusations that were made about me is that I killed 800 children. I was medically experimenting on children. Renee Back says at the heart of the trailer for HBO Savior, Savior Complex, compared to Adolf Hitler, assumed to be part of the KKK, it's kind of like, where do you begin now? Where to begin, indeed. While the area, I'm sorry, while there are a lot of document documentaries about suspicious deaths, there are vastly less 
that feature lengthy interviews with the alleged killer. But this three-part original HBO docuseries features remarkable access to Bach, who felt called by God to help malnourished children in Uganda as a then 19-year-old American missionary. Years later, the whistleblower accusation alleged that Bach personally treated children at her charity facility despite having no medical qualifications. She was denounced on social media as the angel of death and a horrifying example of white saviorism. Looking back, Bach insists, I did not kill children. Her opinions is balanced by commentary from her facility's head nurse, activists, actual medical professionals, mothers who sued over claims that their kids died in box care and more. Delve into complexities of Savior Complex when it debuts on September 26. Yep. That is basically it. All right. White makes right. People will say, you're racist, you're racist. No, um, that's a reality in America and, you know, in our society and also across the globe in certain continents. You know, look what France is doing to Niger right now. Look what France is refusing to do is to leave Niger alone. Okay. You see that. We have history books on how white racists believe they are the best thing ever. Especially those who will take the Bible and break one of the commandments, taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, I mean, if, if, if God called you, wouldn't you be studying for a medical license? Hmm? God called me to be a mechanic. Does that mean that I'm going to go and ask people to trust their cars with me and just start tinkering with it, even though I have to have no training whatsoever in auto mechanics to fix cars? Hmm? And I could cost people their lives once that car leaves off my area? Hmm? Hmm. And do you think I would get a docu-series? Of course, uh, this is a black man behind the mic. Do you think I would get a docu-series after people lose their lives through placing their cars in my care uh, that I, I have no experience fixing cars? Hmm? Let's just say. Let's just say. For sake of the argument. For the sake of argument. Just an example here. No, I, I, I would be in jail, rotting. But this is a society we live in. Okay. On to the next story now. All right. It's sad that this is how it is. And I hope those um, African mothers did get justice. I hope they did. Because once again, you see how the uh, white savior complex is at it again. 
and harms women. It, harm, it harms the black um, black people overseas. So let's see how Africa is checking Western powers now and other groups who want to deal with them from now on. Fair use. People who do not live in Africa are not African and do not understand what these resources mean for the continent. Moving forward, if you want to do business with Africans, if you want to benefit from African resources, President Cyril Ramaphosa says there are new terms of doing business. Take it or leave it because they are partners who are willing to respect Africans when it comes to doing business with them. This continent is rich in the critical minerals that will drive business success in the 21st century. The continent has resources of lithium, vanadium, cobalt, platinum, palladium, nickel. Lithium is what we need for cell phones, just to let you know. So it's good that Africa finally stands up and checks European powers that, and, and every other um, country that you want to do business with, with us, you're going to respect us. Copper, rare earth minerals, rhodium, and many others. And these are the minerals that are bound and are driving economic activity across the world. African countries have made it clear that the investors of choice are those who will come and invest in our continent but also process the resources here close to source so that African countries do not export rock and sand, but export finished products as we would like to do. Hello there, how are you doing? Welcome again to another episode of our conversations. My name is Indira Ganga. I'm a business journalist by profession and a digital on and I picked up a couple of interesting things from from his speech and his presentation and I like the tone that he 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 adopted in his conversation I think that um, we all know that the terms of which Africa does business with the rest of the world are not fair terms they're not fair terms at all they're very unfair terms they're one-sided they 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 oppress Africans they, they mess with our environment and just nobody wins, nobody benefits. Not the Africans, not, not the owners of the resources. If anything, these resources help other people, you know? And particularly if you look at how France does business on the continent, La France Afrique, where everything is for the benefit and prosperity of France, and then you come later and you come last, look at West Africa. Look at what that great and beautiful place has become. It has become nothing. It's turning to dust. Their resources are not helping them. It's almost like a kangaroo republic that continues to benefit the West of experts of the people. And so we need a new order when it comes to doing business. We need to, to, to sort of just shake the table, change the way we do business. We need a total overhaul of the system. Who sits at the table to begin African deals? What are their interests? You know, as even the Africans who sit down to begin the day, what are their interests? How long can these contracts be? Because sometimes also Africans are locked in very unfair contracts. And these contracts are 25 years, 50 years long. These ways of doing business are honestly oppressive. 
And this is a continent that you oppressed for years and years and years on end. And we had to fight through our blood, sweat and tears to get independence. Now that you can no longer put us under forced labor, you're coming at us in a different way. And President Sir Ramaphosa says, the new order of doing business is seeing us as partners and equals. You must And that's the thing, because now they're trying to show their teeth. Now they're trying to uh, find ways to bully Africa. But they can't, all right? And I hope that there's more coups that they get out all the puppets, all the sellouts within their African countries, kick them out. All right. Don't let them have a do not let them have a place in Africa because they could find people who are willing to uh, fight in wars and <clears throat> take back the country <clears throat> and have you enslaved in even harsher conditions and harsher deals. So the best thing to do is to root out all the puppets within your countries, puppet leaders, puppet cabinets, and banish them from Africa, have them removed. So Africa could finally be on top. Okay. But you're a black American. You're, you're black and you're American. How dare you say that about this country? Let me tell you about this country. America is a white supremacist country. Okay. And they have through the government, through the government has been oppressing other nations. Whatever's going to happen to America is a long time coming. Okay? A long time coming. And a lot of people need to understand that. They need to understand that. But it was survival. No, there was no survival. It was not like people were desperate and hungry for survival and they had to oppress Africa. No, they did not have to oppress Africa. They could have made fair deals with them, treat them as human beings, just like you treat other European white nations, Asian nations, Japanese nations, Spanish nations. You could have treated them with respect, but you didn't. And now this is what's happening. Now we have BRICS. And other foreign nations are joining BRICS. <clears throat> Okay. And that is something that people are going to have to grow up and understand. So quit acting stupid, like you don't know what's going on, why people are. It, it, the American government and it's some of its people, especially white races, are very narcissistic and evil. And they want you at the bottom of the heel and when you dare raise that heel up and fight back they play victim no 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 okay they have a right to stand up to their abuser which is the united states and western powers and we're seeing right now how Macron wants to try and fight back and try to enslave them. 
So watch this. Fair use. plot for military intervention in the country. This unfolding situation emphasizes the delicate balance of regional politics in West Africa and raises questions about France's role in the region. The military leadership in Niger has leveled accusations against France as French forces have been amassing troops and equipment in multiple West African nations, fueling concerns of a potential military intervention in Niamey. Colonel Amadou Abdramain, the spokesperson for the Niger coup leaders, explained that France's military cargo aircraft have facilitated the unloading of significant quantities of war material and equipment in Senegal, Ivory Coast, and Benin. This raises questions and concerns about the intentions and activities of France in the region. Colonel Amadou Abdramain went on to elaborate that France is persistently deploying its troops in several ECOWAS countries as part of its preparations for a potential military intervention against Niger. According to his statements, this planning is in collaboration with the ECOWAS community organization. This statement from Colonel Amadou Abdramain comes at a time when tensions between Niger and France, its former colonial power, are steadily escalating following the military coup that took place on July 26. The coup and its aftermath appear to have strained diplomatic relations between the two nations, leading to accusations and suspicions of external involvement in Niger's internal affairs. Paris has shown its support for the deposed President Mohamed Bazoum and has resisted Niger. See what I'm saying? These Western puppets. Niger's calls to withdraw its troops and ambassador from the Sahel nation. In Nîmes, thousands of people persist in staging nearly daily protests near a military base housing French troops, demanding their withdrawal. France currently maintains approximately 1,000 500 troops in the country, and these ongoing demonstrations reflect the public's strong sentiments regarding their presence. A French defense military source has informed AFP that Paris is engaged in discussions with the military regime regarding the withdrawal of certain elements of its presence in Niger. These talks suggest ongoing negotiations between France and the Nigerian authorities as they address the evolving situation. These comments seem to align with the statements made by the military-appointed Prime Minister Ali Mohamed Lamin indicating a consistent message from the military regime regarding the presence of foreign forces in Niger. However, French President Macron's statement clarifies the French position indicating that the withdrawal of French troops from Niger would require a request and coordination from the ousted President Mohamed Bazoum only, and not the military junta. Relations between Niger and France have indeed deteriorated since Paris declared the junta illegitimate. This declaration by France, along with its continued military presence in Niger, has been a source of tension and contention between the two nations. Amid the ongoing standoff between Niger and France, it appears that the military government is considering a strategic move to exert pressure on France. One potential course of action being contemplated by the coup leaders is targeting the approximately 30 French corporations currently operating within Niger. There you go. There you go. 
He got to hit France where it hurts. Hit France where it hurts. The money. All right? These Europeans who want to play this game, they forget that they have businesses at stake in these countries, especially places like Africa, countries like Niger. And they think that they won't just, all right, you want to play this game? You want to try and meddle in our affairs, refuse to leave, want to try to establish coups? Great. Shut down all these French companies in Niger. And would be a good idea is find other leaders that are sentimental to your cause and understand the oppression of European Western powers and shut them down. Kick them out. Let them know that you mean business. All right. So let's talk about... Uh, British mercenary that was um, found tied up and killed in Ukraine. A lot of lives are wasted in Ukraine. I I, I just see it as just uh, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Jordan Chadwick was discovered underwater in mysterious circumstances. The UK Foreign Office has confirmed the body of British mercenary was found tied up in a body of water in Ukraine earlier this summer. The UK Foreign Office confirmed on Friday. It is unclear who killed the fighter, and Ukrainian authorities have said that an investigation will not be launched until next year. Jordan Chadwick, who served in the British Army from 2011 to 2015, traveled to Ukraine last October to join the Internal Legion, the International Legion. Lancaster police told his mother in June that he had been found dead in the body of water with his hands tied behind his back. The foreign office confirmed his death to multiple UK media outlets on Friday. The 31-year-old's body was repatriated to the UK last month. The Ukrainian military will open an inquest into his death in February, the BBC reported. It's unclear where Chadwick died or who killed him. Likewise, it is unclear whether Chadwick was drowned to death or was dead before he was thrown into the water. Chadwick is one of the more than a dozen British nationals killed in Ukraine since the conflict began last February. Those killed include 22-year-old Samuel Newey, who died in combat last month, and Simon Lingard, who was killed by artillery fire in the unsuccessful defense of Atomusk and Bakhmut last November. Three days after Russian forces entered the Ukraine last year, President Vladimir Zelensky put out an appeal for foreigners to join the country's international legion. Thousands answered, but stories of ill-prepared recruits, incompetent commanders, and horrific losses soon emerged. The legion shifted its recruitment efforts solely to military veterans shortly afterwards, but foreign fighters in Ukraine have consistently described conditions on the front line as hell, with casualty rates in some units reportedly as high as 85%. Some 12,000 hired guns have traveled to Ukraine since the start of the conflict. The Russian Defense Ministry estimated in July. As of July, just 2,200 remained in the country, with 5,000 killed and the rest fleeing Ukraine, the ministry stated. However, the commander of the Georgian Legion 
another foreign mercenary group claimed in June that the true number of foreign fighters in Ukraine is much higher. Nearly 20,000 foreigners were serving in Ukraine at that time. Mamuka Mamasukhavili told British media with almost 3,000 British citizens among them. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see a point in fighting a war that you know is a is just suicide. I don't I don't see the point of it all. I don't. All right, but this this is Ukraine. This is Ukraine and people think, you know, that's a smart thing to do, even though their commanders steal from their own troops, leave their you know, you hear stories of these Soldiers suffering from tuberculosis, medical supplies stolen from the commanders and sold on the black market. Ukraine is a very corrupt nation, and even their own people are corrupt. Not all of them, but when it, they don't care. All right, it's just savagery, App, straight up, upfront savagery. Okay, not given proper weapons. The military generals would. Uh, so discord among their soldiers. If you do such and such for me, you'll get more, higher pay and, you know, ensuring certain death on the battlefield. Who wants to serve in a military where you can't even trust the people over you to give you clear direction and to trust them with your lives? Who wants to do that? I'm just saying, I mean, who, who in their right mind would want to serve in a country like that, a, a military country like that? This country's military is extremely corrupt. Let's not forget, Ukraine also has a, you know, a child sex trafficking ring that uh, Prince Andrew was involved in. Okay. EU state leader celebrates online troll movement founded by a Holocaust denier. Estonian Prime Minister Kazis Kalis has addressed a gathering of NAFO, an aggressive online harassment network set up by a Hitler sympathizer. Estonian Prime Minister Kazis Kalis addressed the first real-life gathering of the pro-Kiev online troll army, NAFO, on Saturday, celebrating its work in information war against Russia. Formed by Kamil Dzyski, a Polish Hitler-admiring anti-Semite who had showered praise on white supremacist terrorists who committed mass shootings, NAFO has shared the deaths of Russian civilians and fundraising for people accused of war crimes. Dzyski has a lengthy history of posts praising Nazi Germany, insulting, uh, insulting uh, victims of the um, descendants of the Holocaust and denying the Holocaust, an acronym for North Atlantic Fellows Organization, NAFU is a collective of internet users easily identified by their use of Shibu Inu avatars and their fanatical support for the Ukrainian army, referring to themselves as fellas. NAFU trolls can be found on social media, spreading keys, talking points, gang up on swarm polls, and demand the censorship of pro-Moscow accounts, soliciting donations for Georgian Legion, a foreign mercenary group whose leaders have admitted to multiple war crimes in Ukraine. Some pro-Ukraine commentators have argued that the group's online activities, including 
the open mockery of a Russian civilian killed by a shark in Egypt are counterproductive to Ukrainian cause. I, I would think so. If you want support, I wouldn't be making racist anti, you know, anti-Semite posts. I, I wouldn't do that. I, 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 that that's, not, that's not good. All right. The group held its first real life summit in Vilnius on Saturday, mirroring the NATO event, which starts in the Lithuanian capital on Tuesday. Callis, who described herself last year as one of the fellows, addressed the darkened room of keyboard warriors by video link. NAFO, she said, serves as an example of how to fight Russian disinformation and bad takes with good humors, intelligence and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. So uh, let's hear what Miss Callis, Kasia Callis, has to say. Dear fellas, I'm really sorry not to be able to be there with you in person for the first ever NAFO summit in Vilnius. But I will be following in your footsteps in a few days when NATO leaders meet. As a proud honorary Just remember, Joe Biden is siding with this. You know, Republican and Democrat are siding with Ukraine. A neo-Nazi neo-Nazi nation. This is where your tax tax dollars are going, people. U.S. tax dollars. Those who are in Europe, that's where your tax dollars are going. Here we go. Bella, I want to send my greetings to you and I wish you the most base NAFA summit possible. As I've said before, the aggressor must be defeated on the battlefield, but Russia is also waging a war against our democracies, an energy war, a cyber... Hold on. Isn't Zelensky the one jailing journalists, putting them in jail, and some of them have never to be heard from again? Hmm? Who's waging war on democracy again? Cyber war and information war. Democracies need to take steps to defend themselves in all these areas, as well as holding the line to defend a world where rules still apply and where technology works for, not against democratic societies. You are all a living example of this. Fighting Russian disinformation and bad takes with good humor, intelligence and enthusiasm. Behind every fellow is a real person. You are volunteering your... A real racist time and energy because you believe in Ukraine's victory. I thank you for all your support to Ukraine as well as the Baltic Sea region and Estonia. And thank you for all your support to me personally. It really, really warms my heart. So what more to say than keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't say Hail Hitler. That's all I'm saying. Very disturbing. Very disturbing. Keep fighting the good fight, she told the crowd, concluding that NAFO expansion is non-negotiable and Ukraine will win. Right. Right. It's good to dream. You know, it's good to dream. Doesn't mean it will become a reality, but it's good to dream. NAFO has grown into an internet-wide phenomenon over the last year, counting U.S. Congress... Adam Kazinger, Ukrainian Defense Minister Alexei Vizikov, British Defense Minister Ben Wallace, and a host of Western analysts and spies as fellas. This membership 
role has fueled speculation that the group is tied to Western intelligence agencies. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. We got a Indiana congresswoman who wants to have your tax dollars support Azov Battalion. Okay. Her name is Victoria Sparks. Look her up. Okay. Ukrainian born, but moved, immigrated here. Now she's a congresswoman. Okay. Um, if you live in Indiana, you need to make some calls and to make sure to have her removed. Okay. Because I guarantee you, you do have some Ukrainians, not all, but you have some Ukrainians that do support Azov Battalion. All right. And they're going to try to do their best to pull a cultural jihad and to find a way to get into positions of government where they could change the laws and where they can uh, help Ukraine and other neo-Nazis across the globe. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. Talking about white supremacy, white supremacy. White supremacy is working harder now. When things go to pot, then it's really going to be hard times for minorities, especially black people. Callis was not only NATO politician to address Saturday's summit. The meeting opened with a speech from Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabrielius Landbriggers, and its organizers received a shout out on Twitter from the Ukrainian government. Viewers noted that a blown up shark on the stage near Landsbergers was an apparent nod to Nefu's cruel mockery. According to a Nefu official Twitter account, the event raised $3,000 for various Ukrainian military and civilian organizations. Okay. This is what's going on, people. This is this is what's going on. People think this is a a game. People think it's a joke. Tell you, man, we're in for some really hard times, and it's not a game. It really isn't. Let's talk about uh, Kathy Holschel and what could be at the fate of those who live in New York State. Let's get into it. Most evil, most corrupt plans, and the decision is being made today at 10 a.m. Back in March, I had made a video saying that Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, the most evil motherfucker of all time. He's just kind of flying under the radar for everybody. But she, trust me, she's a fucking monster. She wants quarantine camps for diseases that could be COVID, could not be COVID, things that aren't even contagious. Things like Lyme disease, okay? Things like toxic shock syndrome. You know, the thing you get if you put a tampon in wrong, okay? She wants you to go to the quarantine camp for that. So in March, the judge marked a that it was unconstitutional to have these quarantine camps in march the very next day she filed an appeal 
Even though he said it's unconstitutional, she filed an appeal immediately because she wanted this shit, okay? Now, all the stuff I'm about to list is in the appeal. It is going to be the most jaw-dropping thing you ever hear about. You're going to wonder why you haven't heard about this before. So let's talk about it. So if this thing goes through and you are on their list to be taken, they come to your home. It could be in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., at your job, wherever, whenever. Take you, they take you out, put you in their car. No questions asked. You are not allowed to, you can, you can try to fucking ask. Doesn't mean they are required to give you an answer about why they're taking you, where they're taking you, or how long they're taking you for. Next, it can be any age. It can be your newborn baby who's just two weeks old. It could be your three-year-old toddler who's screaming for you and doesn't want to leave. It could be your grandparents. It is any age. There is no age restriction, okay? To get you even more mad, this is all real. This is very real and on the, on the actual list if you go look at the appeal, okay? I'm not making this shit up to scare anybody. It's just fucking scary. You have zero rights when you get there. Just like the J6ers, okay? There is no due process. There is no court hearing. You have zero rights. They owe you nothing. You are stuck there and you do what you are told. You know, this kind of reminds me of that Rage Against the Machine song. Seconds. Weeks, months, years. They owe you no time limit. They are not required to give you any amount of time to when you will be released. It's all on them, guys. If that's not bad enough to scare the shit out of you, if this goes through, this is going to make it even worse. You are forced to eat whatever they give you and take whatever medicine they give you. And that is basically... What's going on with uh, Kathy Holschel? All right. And let's get into this article here. About it. All right. Arguments in an appeal over quarantine regulations. Rochester oral arguments were heard Wednesday in the state appeals of a lower court ruling found that Holchel administration had violated the constitutional separation of powers in adopting a regulation establishing isolation and quarantine procedures through the agency ruling rulemaking process. Originally filed in April of 20. The petitioners of the lawsuit are State Senator George Barillo, Assemblyman Chris Tagg, Assemblyman now Congressman Michael Lawler, and Organization Uniting New York State. The regulation gives the State Department of Health and or the local health authority the power to mandate isolation and quarantine orders for individuals with no proof they are sick or have been exposed to diseases listed in the regulation. It also provides the health authority with the ability to determine the isolation location, which may may include facilities outside of one's own home and even using law enforcement to do so. Borello noted that the list of diseases in regulation went far beyond COVID and included several that are not even communicable 
and therefore pose no public health threat. He said the list could be easily amended including uh, to include others. Rule 2.13 is a red flag that underscores the lingering authoritarian approach to governing, which is to which is a holdover from the pandemic. Borrello said Wednesday, the unprecedented emergency powers given to the executive branch became the new normal for two years and gave a rise to certain abuses like this dangerous isolation and quarantine regulation. The Republican senator from Chattanooga County said the principle at the heart of the lawsuit is the constitutional separation of powers, which he believes was violated by the administration's actions. They overstepped their authority by attempting to enact such an expansive mandate, he said, if we allow that to occur, the un unchallenged, it would invite further overreach. In his July 2022 ruling in favor of the petitioners, Categoris County Judge Ronald D. Poletz noted in his decision that the legislature had already passed a law that covers this issue. He said PHL 2120 was enacted by the legislature in 1953 and provides a procedure for obtaining a quarantine or isolation order. He further noted that the rule 2.13 actually contravenes the procedures set forth in PHL 2120 and ignores the balancing act between individuals' rights and the need for public safety. Bobby Ann Flower Cox, the attorney representing the petitioner said Wednesday, oral arguments at the Supreme Court Appellate Division were held because the governor and the DOH are trying to get back the unconstitutional power to isolate or quarantine New Yorkers with no proof you are sick, no proof you have been exposed to communicable disease, and they want the power to lock you up or lock you down for however long they want without any stated procedure on how you can regain your freedom. She said the horrendous regulation would allow the administration to use law enforcement to enforce their orders or isolation or quarantine against residents. No right to an attorney or right to appeal the order until you are locked up, Cox said. Guilty until proven innocent. The trial court last year, year was, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the trial court last year was absolutely correct in striking down this regulation. Two amicus briefs in support of invalidating Rule 2.13 were submitted, one by Assembly members William Barclay, Andrew W. Goodwell, Goodell, and Joseph Giglio, and another by the New Civil Liberties Alliance and an advocacy group headquartered in Washington, D.C. Borrello called the legal effort challenging the state is a David versus Goliath story, signing its teams of lawyers and resources to appeal Pollitt's ruling. However, wastefully spending taxpayers' hard-earned dollars to try to overturn a judicial decision, which is on solid constitutional ground, will only further confirm that this is an executive branch that views itself above the law, he said. Several protesters were outside the court Wednesday, Wednesday morning to protest against quarantine holding up signs some of which read no quarantine camps. The five judge panel is expected to reach its decision on this case in a few months. Governor Kathy Hochul also held a press conference Wednesday 
afternoon regarding current COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. She said that while the number of cases isn't as high as it was during the quarantine period, she's encouraging residents to get updated uh, stuff. Yeah. So, you know, Kathy Holchel is dangerous. She is very dangerous. All right. And she didn't care about the people of New York State. She didn't care. But I'm glad that they struck it down. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen later on down the road? So let's talk about Maui. Some disturbing stuff that was uh, found out. Fair use. What's going on here? I'm from Montana normally, and this feels like out of the Wild West. Read this headline. Marines neutralize fleeing FEMA convoy in Maui? What the heck? Let's see what's going on with this. This is dated rawrealnews.com. You can type that headline in, and it's reported on multiple sites. I would love to know your thoughts about this, but let's read on. United States Marines on Friday neutralized a FEMA convoy that fled fire-stricken Lahaina for Haleakala National Park, a 33,000-acre wilderness and home to the state's highest peak, Mount Haleakala, from where FEMA might have escaped had the Marines not downed a helicopter sent to rescue the federal brigands. The chase began early Friday morning when a Marine platoon and FEMA had a shootout in the Maui Forest Reserve east of Lahaina Beach. Responding to intelligence reports, the Marines caught FEMA red-handed, bearing corpses in an earthen grave the feds had evacuated with backhoes. Burying corpses in an earthen grave the feds had evacuated with a backhoe. A procession of FEMA agents hauled the bodies of men, women, and children out of an M35 deuce and a half cargo truck and heaped them atop another as federal supervisors stood around smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee? Is this real? The Marines had dismounted a distance away and had crept into FEMA AO undetected. FEMA Real Raw News' source in General Smith's office would later say, we were more interested in cracking insensitive jokes about the dead than posting lookouts or watch for white hat forces. I don't know. Did this really happen? We're talking about grenades and helicopters and FEMA? I don't know, but I have seen local reports of many people saying that they've seen FEMA dumping donations into the dump instead of giving them to the people. Well, there was reports of, you know, the people, you know, people are trying to help uh, the people of, of Maui, you know, native people. And they gave it to FEMA and FEMA. Actually, I'm sorry, they didn't give it to FEMA. FEMA blocked them from giving water and food to these people who are suffering from the Maui fire. So I wouldn't put it past FEMA. And we've seen others reporting them taking supplies and not dispersing them to people. Can we trust FEMA? What the heck is going on? If you have any news about this, I would love to know. I was kind of checked out um, since last Thursday. I went to recharge in the jungle alone, away from all media. 
And so I haven't really been even looking on social media, but I would love to know. And here's another comment that I found on a local Maui page. Does anyone know why there are so many DEA in Kihei walking around with guns? What the heck is going on here? Kihei is really far from Lahaina, and I heard that the DEA agent, agents, which usually deal with drugs, are staying here in Kihei where I live. Really interesting. Do you have any thoughts? Do you have any experiences with this? Please share. Yeah, this is... Uh... This is wild, man. Kind of with those things about the energy weapons, you know. There's no energy weapons. All right, no energy weapons. Okay. Houses, homes, burnt away in a perfect fashion. Rich people's homes are not affected. Trees are in perfect condition, but the homes are just burnt to a crisp perfectly by the way perfectly all in a nice straight line around the perimeter of that home hmm. all right very interesting though Here's the article, by the way. All right. United States Marines on Friday neutralized a FEMA convoy that fled fire-stricken Lahina for Heliaka National Park, a 33,000-acre wilderness and home to the state's highest peak, Mount Helika, from where FEMA might have escaped had the Marines not downed the helicopter sent to rescue the federal brigands. The chase began early Friday morning when a Marine platoon and FEMA had a shootout in, Mary, in Maui Forest Reserve, east of Lahina. Responding to the intelligence reports, the uh, Marines caught FEMA red-handed, burying corpses in an earth earthen grave. The feds had excavated with a backhoe. A procession of FEMA agents hauled the bodies of men, women, and children out of a M35 deuce and a half cargo truck and heaped them on top of one another as federal supervisors stood around smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. The Marines had dismounted a distance away and had crept into FEMA's AO undetected. FEMA Real News source, General Smith's office, would later say, we're more interested in cracking insensitive jokes around the dead than posting lookouts to watch for white hat forces. The Marines had taken over in the dense foliage and behind the trees before opening fire on the federal forces. A dozen feds fell at once, cut down by streams of Marine fire. Some FEMA screamed in terror, don't shoot, don't shoot, we give up, while the officers unholstered pistols or unslung rifles in a desperate but futile attempt to return fire. Their shots hit only glass and trees. The cowardly agents who wouldn't fight hit the deck and crawled through the foliage to their nearby vehicles unmarked SUVs, and an armored FEMA mobile command center, NBC. Some found their tires deflated, and a few vehicles survived the assault. The deuce and a half driver was shot in the face through the windshield when he keyed the ignition. 
A dozen FEMA and FBI embedded among them survived the initial onslaught and fled gunfight in two SUVs and NBC. 60 Marines and four Humvees gave chase while the remaining Marines remained behind to mop up stranglers and recover the dead civilians at the mass grave site. The Marines pursued FEMA northeast along Route 36 and Route 37 intersection in Kali, then southeast along Route 37 toward Polaki and further on the precarious swerving road ending at the Heleka Park entrance and several hours drive. Our sources said the Marines did not engage in route due to risk of endangering civilians. FEMA dismounted at the Kaluka Overlook, a cliff overlooking the expansive Heleka crater and formed the defensive perimeter around the vehicles as a UH-60 chopper in the distance drew nearer to the, to the bluff. Marines our, the Marines, our source said, had requested air support from Marine Corps Base Hawaii, otherwise known as K-Bay in Oha, in Oha, but they were told to expect a gunship. Hmm. This is wild, man. This is, this is insane. Insane. <sighs> and AH 17 Viper, not an extraction bird. The Blackhawk did not respond to Marines' radio calls. FEMA had popped the green smoke, universally recognized as the friendly forces ready for extraction. As the Blackhawk descended, ready to hover, it was suddenly hit by three grenades fired from a belt-fed MK-19 grenade launcher mounted on top a Marine Hummer. One clipped the rotor mass. The second flew into an open door. Smoke and flame engulfed the bird, which tumbled out of the sky and down into the Kalika crater. The Viper arrived after the Marines turned the MK-19 on FEMA's MBC its armor wasn't dense enough to survive several direct hits. Anyone inside burned to a crisp, died of smoke inhalation, and or turned to mincemeat. The Marines waved off the tardy bird, saying they controlled the situation. The remaining FEMA agents fell like dominoes. The Marines, our source said, found 113 bodies in the back of the deuce and a half at the gravesite. Later that night, 737 loaded with FEMA personnel left Kalali Airport destination unknown wow this was a horror movie they made sure there was no survivors none at all no survivors at all radically insane man But uh, let's talk about somebody else who's, you know, basically doesn't care. Let's talk about Mayor Eric Adams and these budget cuts for New York City. Fair use. On this national crisis, never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. 
This issue will destroy New York City. An urgent message from New York City Mayor Eric Adams as the number. My thing is this. You knew this would destroy New York City. Why are you trying to act like a victim? Like you didn't know. You kept hiding illegal immigrants here time and time again. Kicking out veterans out of hotels. You giving them eight grand each, $8,000 each. You have homeless New Yorkers here due to the pandemic. And you couldn't help them out with $8,000 each, eight grand? Of migrants who have arrived in the city since last April hits 110,000. The influx has strained resources, with Mayor Adams estimating the crisis could cost potentially $12 billion over the next three years. To help counter that, he's asking every city agency to reduce spending by up to 15% in the coming months. President Biden is facing calls to take federal action from Mayor Adams and New York Governor Kathy Hochul, as well as Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson, who are facing a migrant crisis of their own. We reached out to the White House for a comment, and they provided a list of actions it's taken, including assisting the state and city of New York with more than $140 million in federal funding this year, as well as the state of Illinois and the city of DHS has provided more than $1 billion through grants programs to help communities who are supporting arriving migrants. Requested an additional $600 million for shelter and services programs in the supplement, and we continue to call on Congress to fulfill that request. Provided the state and city of New York more than $140 million in federal funding through DHS. Providing the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago more than $40 million in federal funding through DHS. I can't read the other one here, but... I think they should all take that money. <clears throat> Don't give it to the illegal immigrants. Give it to New Yorkers. Give it to people in Chicago who are actually starving, who are born there, who need jobs, who need money to feed their families, create jobs. Here, you need a place to stay. Take some of this money, buy a cheap house, and use the rest of the money to set aside for the bills, use the rest to get a trade, all right? That's what you do. Don't give it to the illegal immigrants. They're not they're not born here. Some of these people you see mo you know you see mostly dudes that are coming over here, right? Mostly dudes. You do rarely see women and children. Something's wrong here. Are they part of a private army or something? Just saying. You have Chicago with more than forty-five million dollars. Joining me now is the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Mayor Adams, uh, thank you for coming back to the Sunday show. Yesterday, you warned agency heads they must slash their budgets by 15 percent by next spring to compensate for the increasing costs of the migrant crisis. Is this a way to put pressure <clears throat> on New York State and the federal government? What was your thought uh, no. process in making this decision? Uh, no, not at all. And first of all, I'm glad you played that clip at the top of this conversation because there's a clear distortion uh, that uh, my comments were anti-immigrant, anti-migrant. Uh, the Trump Republicans are trying to use it uh, as such, which is not true. And then even the far left is trying to use it as anti-immigrant. We've done more than our share. Uh, over 110,000 uh, migrants have arrived in the city, 60,000 still remaining in, in our care. And the announcement we made yesterday 
is stating that we have to go and do uh, several rounds of finding cost efficiency. 5% three times in a row, that's 15%. We've already spent, and this year we're going to spend up to $5 billion. Think about that for a moment. Getting a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty million dollars on a five billion dollar national price tag is not acceptable. Not acceptable, but you were pushing this. You were pushing for illegals to be here. I, I don't, I don't understand you. Your logic, you know, you were pushing for this, and I was like, oh man, you know, I made a mistake. You think when everybody else was telling you that you made a mistake? You think? What's happening in Chicago right now? I wonder what's going on in Chicago. Hmm. What's, what's going on here? Let's find out. Fair use. And dump people in our community like this. This is not fair. The city's pressing migrant crisis in the spotlight now more than ever, and Southside residents are fired up over plans to put up tents. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Scott Schneider. And I'm Don Hasbrook. Tonight, a meeting on the issue was filled to capacity, and many community members are frustrated that they were not let in. Casey Cron is live in Roseland with the latest. Casey. John and Scott, community members want to make their voices heard on this subject, and tonight, many weren't able to. On the table is a proposal from Mayor Brandon Johnson that would place hundreds of migrants in makeshift camps in a former Jewel parking lot. At Sheldon Heights Church of Christ, an open dialogue on the migrant crisis hosted by Alderman Ronnie Mosley was packed inside and out. First of all, they definitely chose this venue for a reason. They chose a small venue so that they could discourage the community from being able to show up. With fall and winter fast approaching, Mayor Brandon Johnson is looking to move migrants from police stations into what the city is calling winterized base camp. You know, uh, one of the Chicago police officers got a female immigrant pregnant, right? Yep, more problems, more problems. They don't care. Chicago, if you thought Chicago was a crime-infested city now, you haven't seen nothing yet. This is essentially like a Band-Aid to a gunshot wound. You are putting a Band-Aid on a huge problem at hand. One potential site, the former Jewel parking lot at 115th and Halstead. Uh, I think that's a bad idea. They want to push this out of sight and out of mind. But it's coming with pushback. Many calling on the city's leaders to focus on the needs of taxpayers. We are the residents of this community and we demand that they do not put these people here. They're not even following the rules in the police station. What makes us think that they're going to follow the rules here? Residents tell us they are in need of groceries. This, this is going to end badly for them. I, I feel bad for them because they are going to... They're going to suffer. All right. They're going to feel oppressed. They're going to get robbed. Crime is going to go through the roof. And they're probably not going to get arrested. I feel bad for them. The best thing to do is to move out. 
because you don't want to get affected. You already know the cops are not really going to do much. They're not. So what can you do? What can you do? The economy's going to crash. Gangs are going to rise up. And the first people are going to be hit is women and children. This is all by design, by the way. You cannot deny that. This is all by design to bring down the country. And those immigrants that are mostly men of fighting age, you rarely see families. It's usually a bunch of dudes there. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a type of coup. They're just waiting for their time to get that signal to rise and take over. Tell me what you think. This is all I got for now. Um, like, share, comment, and subscribe. I am on on Rumble, Radical Thoughts 791. I am on uh, Spotify, Hard Talk Radio, live in 4K. All right. Once again, anything you want to know about the channel is in the description box. Okay. And uh, that's about it. If you like donating to the Cash App, feel free to donate to the Cash App. Other than that, like, share, comment, and subscribe. Later. See you on the next one.